All right. Thank you, Jeremy, for that introduction. I, uh, he kind of downplayed it. Um, I've known Jeremy for quite a while, and I've had the privilege of not only working with him this past year, but for the past uh, t 12 years, really, he's been a part of my life. I grew up going to the Sugar Grove Youth Group at uh, Village Bible Church, and Jeremy was fundamental to not only my growth as a Christian, but just to who I am today. So it's a privilege to be in his pulpit today. But that's my introduction aside. I want to introduce you all to a guy by the name of Bernie Madoff. I got a picture up on screen, as Zach called him, the old sad dude. That's what Zach called him. But uh, this guy, if you don't know the name Bernie Madoff, I just kind of want to introduce you to him just a little. Bernie uh, always, growing up, wanted to be big on Wall Street. He wanted to be big on Wall Street. His father was a plumber, and his mother worked in the financial industry, and that's really where his love for Wall Street grew. And while he was in college, he used $5,000 that he had saved up to start investing in penny stocks, making money. And in that period, he realized that he was really good at not only investing, but he was really good at persuading people. What he said to people, that meant something. His words had Wait, and he did this for a few years, and then it wasn't until around 1980 when he really hit it big. He and his buddy Peter were like, all right, let's get together and really work on something. So they um, got together and they, here, let me find it. They started an electronic trading company, and this is when they really hit big success. This is when his dreams had came true. He'd always wanted to be famous on Wall Street, and it was now finally starting to come into play. He and his buddy Peter, after a few years of work, were them and four others possessed half of Wall Street's exchange, half of the money going in and out of Wall Street. He was making the vicinity of $100 million a year. This guy made it big, and with making it big, you bring people in. People flooded to this guy, not just your normal stock investors, but Kevin Bacon was one of these guys. Steven Spielberg gave his money to Bernie Madoff. People loved what this guy was selling, and it was working out. It was working out for everyone. Bernie would be making money, making for these people. They'd be trading the stocks, and then whenever someone wanted out, they'd get all their money back and more. It was great until 2008 when the recession hit, and more people than he was ready for wanted their money back. And it was at this moment Bernie confessed to his two sons that instead of trading all this money, he had been filing every single donation, all the money, into one single bank account that Bernie re received. Bernie received all this money. Bernie ended up taking $64 billion from investors. And that is 37,000 investors. If you do the math, that is roughly $1.8 million an investor. Bernie ripped people off. People put their faith in Bernie. They're like, take my money. Do this for me. And in the end, he kicked them on the curb. Right? This whole book of Jude, we have been talking about false teachers, false teachings that we fall into Bernie was one of those guys when it come, came to the financial world. He was a false teacher. He said he had insight into the industry when he didn't. This whole book of Jude, Jude has been talking about how people like Bernie have crept into the church. 
And today I've titled my sermon Rock Solid Foundation because in this passage we get to talk about a rock solid foundation. Jude is going to tell us what it looks like for us as Christians to have a rock solid foundation. When us as Christians, we often like to invest our time in people like Bernie, who on the outside look good, and they look charismatic, and they are making money. A hundred million dollars a year is no joke, but in the end, it will all crumble. In the end, we were building our house on the sand. So with that, I want to turn to the book of Jude. If you don't know where the book of Jude is, it is the second to last book in the Bible. We're going to be reading verses 17 through 23 today. So if you join me, let's read Jude 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause division, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And you have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire, and to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you for just this opportunity you've given me to just share the truth, share your word out of the book of Jude. Just pray for uh, anyone else who couldn't make it here today. Just pray that they're safe, Lord. Pray that no accidents happen on the ride home. Lord, just keep us safe. And just pray that uh, the people in here today, Lord, that I can speak clearly, that you can speak through me, and that their ears can be opened, and that we can all take something from today. Amen. All right, so yeah, we are in our series, Clear Faith in a Blurry World. And up until this point in the book of Jude, what has happened is Jude has written to us, and he said, hey, I wanted to write you guys concerning our common salvation. But Jude noticed a problem in the church. He noticed that false teachers had crept into the church. He noticed that false teachers had crept in to the lives of those in the church. So unfortunately, he couldn't write to us about our common salvation. He had to then address the false teachers in the church. Last week, Pastor Jeremy, he preached on buyer beware if you were here, and he talked about how all these false teachers, in the end, they got what was coming to them. They got their punishment, and that's coming for all of us. And that kind of catches us up to where we are today. Essentially what has happened is Judah said, hey, there's all this going on in the church. False teachers have crept in. He comes in. Jude drops a bomb on this pulpit. He lights the fuse. But he doesn't leave it there. That's where we are right now. That's where we get when we enter verse 17. This bomb, the fuse is lit, but he doesn't leave that bomb there. He continues. Let's glance back at verse 17. It says, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. So the first thing I want you guys to take away from this is building our life on a rock-solid foundation involves being resolved in the face of danger. Being resolved in the face of danger. And for me, when I think about being resolved in the face of danger, one guy comes to mind more than anyone else. If you've seen the Mission Impossible franchise, you'll recognize the man that I'm going to throw on the screen, Ethan Hunt. Ethan Hunt from the Mission Impossible franchise, played famously by Tom Cruise. If you've seen these movies, or even if you haven't, I'll explain it. Ethan Hunt is an IMF agent. He works for uh, IMF, which is the Impossible Mission Force. 
right? These missions he's going on are impossible. And Ethan Hunt, he's had the training, he has the composure to when he's, he's in these crazy situations and he has to, for example, climb the Burj Khalifa, the tallest building in the world. He can do that. He has that composure. Yes, it's a scary situation, but he's trained. He can handle it, right? That's the kind of composure that we see Jude have. Jude has this composure when talking about how false teachers have crept into the church, right? We, uh, we see that he doesn't freak out. He says right here that um, you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles. He's read the scriptures. He remembers what the scriptures says so that when these situations arise, he doesn't have to freak out. He can stay composed. He can be resolved. And what Jude wants us to do to be resolved, he wants us to remember three things. The first thing he wants us to remember to help us keep this resolve is he wants us to remember what God's word says. Remember what God's word says. We see that Jude, he, he notices false teachers have arisen, but he has the knowledge to know, hey, I can reference back to the apostles' teachings. I can reference back to the scripture because this was predicted, this was said that it would happen. We see it in 2 Peter 2. We see it in 1 John 4. We see it in 2 Timothy 3, right? Apostles predicted that false teachers would rise up. So us as Christians, we can have this resolve knowing, hey, these false teachers have crept in, but that's not out of the blue. That's not out of left field. God knew that this would happen. The, um, the scriptures said that it would happen. And if you actually want to turn to Matthew 7, I'm going to get it on the screen too, so if you don't want to turn there, that's fine. But we will be coming back to Matthew 7 later. We see from the words of Jesus as he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus has to say about false teachers. He says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ferocious wolves. By their fruits you will recognize them. Do not pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A tree cannot bear fruit, and a bad or a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. We see it right out of the, word, the mouth of Jesus, right? He knew that false teachers would creep in, and he said that they would be unnoticed. He said that they would dress like sheep, but inwardly, my translation says ravenous wolves. They're ravenous wolves, these false teachers are. So we have to keep that in mind. But Jude was able to keep this in mind because he had memorized the scriptures. He knew the teachings. He knew that this would happen. Right? So he has this resolve in the face of danger because, yes, there are false teachers in the church, but he memorized the scriptures. He read the scriptures. And I challenge you, church, how often are we doing that in our own life? How often are we taking the time to memorize scripture? Right? How often are we taking time to even read the scripture? Knowing the scripture is what gave Jude this resolve in the face of danger. But how often are we hiding scripture in our heart? How often are we doing that? The amount of times that having scripture in my heart has just helped me be calm in situations is numerous. So I challenge you, church, how often are we doing that? Pastor Jeremy last week and the past few weeks has showed a picture of two $20 bills. He showed that on screen. And to the average, or the average person looking on, we wouldn't recognize the difference between two $20 bills. 
but one of them was counterfeit. One of them was real. And the only way we can identify the real is by studying the real. Yeah, Jeremy brought up the example last week that you could go out, you could study the thousands of false dollar bills, the thousand counterfeit dollar bills. But what that's going to do in the end, they're just going to create more counterfeit bills. There's only one real, right? There's only one real gospel, only one real truth, and it's right here. How often are we memorizing this, right? Having that resolve that we can have in the face of danger. The second thing Jude wants us to remember is Jude wants us to remember who's in control. We can see who's in control when in the face of danger. Yeah, these false teachers crept into the church, and the church didn't notice that they crept in. We didn't notice they crept in, but God did. God knew that these false teachers would rise up. He knew that they would infiltrate the church. So we don't have to hit the alarm button. We don't have to freak out because God is in control. Yes, false teachers are a problem. They're in our church, but God knows, right? And you might be thinking, Ethan, yeah, when Jude wrote the book of Jude, he knew that false teachers were present then, but he had no idea the kinds of false teachers that would rise up today, right? The social media influencers, the news, the TV, the different kinds of influence that false teachers would have. Social media is huge. There are all kinds of people on social media claiming that they know the truth, right? Jew didn't know about this, Ethan, but God did, right? God did. God knew about how times would be today. And I bring up Ecclesiastes 1.9, says there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. So yeah, sin looks different now. And influencers look different now. False teachers look different now. They're in our workplaces, on our cell phones. We can go to bed with a false teacher playing in our ear. You know, that they're just everywhere, but God knew that. So we can still have this resolve in the face of danger. And the third thing that Jude wants us to remember is he wants us to remember that people will cause divisions. People will cause division. There are people who are in the church who, as verse, um, verse 18 puts it, or is it 19, people will cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. There are people devoid of the Spirit that have crept into the church, and we have to realize that. We have to know that these people will rise up, but that's our call to action. Next thing, to building our life on a rock-solid foundation requires us to be reinforcing our defenses. We have to be reinforcing our defenses. Let's look at verse 20. It says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. We see it right here. What does Jude tell us to do? tells us to build our life on the most holy faith. Build our life on the most holy faith. I think about that often. Like, what are we building our lives on? Just think about that for a second. What are you truly building your life on? Is it money, success, social media, athletics, leisure, sex? Like, what are we building our life on that isn't the most holy faith? What is at the foundation of our feet? If everything went crumbling down, what are we standing on? Are we standing on a rock-solid foundation? Are we standing on the things of this world, the things that the false teachers of this world value? What is the foundation of our feet? 
and reinforcing our defenses, it, it will do a few things to us. Firstly, it will practice our patience. Reinforcing our defenses will practice our patience. This isn't instantaneous, right? A great thing that comes to mind when I think about reinforcing defenses is I think about the Great Wall of China, right? And the way that the Great Wall of China was constructed. Brick after brick, the Great Wall was built up. And this wasn't a quick process. This took time. And the building that Jude is talking about in this passage is the layer on top of another, right? We're stacking layers on top of ourselves. What are we doing in our faith to layer our faith up? Right? So often we like to stay idle. We like to go, yeah, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I'm right where I need to be. But what are we doing every day to continually add the layers to ourselves, to continually build up our defenses? And when I think about how we are now and instant gratification, like I'm the type of guy who... I'll do a sit-up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I should have six-pack abs now. No, that takes time. The Great Wall of China took 2,000 years to build. How often in our own lives are we just giving up after two minutes of building up our faith? Like, oh, I would memorize Scripture, but, man, that takes time. Yeah, it will take time. It will practice our patience. A great example of this was... Last summer, I had the opportunity to meet up with a friend who I hadn't seen since high school. It had been four years since I'd seen him, and we were just talking. We were at Chili's. We were shooting the breeze, and he leaned over to me, and he goes, Ethan, you have changed so much since high school. You are so different now than you were then, and he asked me to mentor him, and that, that really was powerful to me, but what struck me was, like, I didn't notice this change. Maybe the people around me didn't notice this change, but him who, looking out, had four years, hadn't been with me for four years, he was able to see that change. Often we get frustrated because we don't see the growth. We don't see the change in our own walk, in our own lives. But there is change there. We just have to stay committed. And then not only will practice our patience, but it will take training. It'll take training. We have to be training ourselves. We have to develop new habits. We have to change things about our lives, work things into our schedule. It's super easy to not train ourselves and build our faith. I used the example of doing a sit-up earlier, right? I'm not just going to do one sit-up. I have to continually work out, continually build those muscles, and then I will see the reward, the results that I want. But I ask you, church, how are we reinforcing our faith? What are we doing to reinforce ourselves when danger comes? False teachers are going to creep in. They're going to attack from different angles. A good example of this was, uh, I was li- I, if you know me, you know I love Christian rap. Christian rap is like my favorite kind of music, and I'll bump it all the time, and I get real spiritually moved from it. But then I'll hop over from listening to a Christian rapper that I like, listening to his exact, the exact same rapper listening to his podcast and listening to what he has to say about God and the people of the church. And I see that it doesn't match up with what God's word says. But that is a perfect example of a way that someone I really admire, someone I really love, is teaching me false things. That guy would be a false teacher. But the idea is you study the real. We got those dollar bills. You study the real so you see the counterfeit. How are we training ourselves up to identify the counterfeit when it comes up in our lives? When maybe our favorite YouTuber starts to form a new opinion, or favorite politician, or favorite pastor, we have to study the real so that when 
The false rises up. We're able to identify it. We're able to identify it. And I, I bring back the, the example of the Great Wall of China, right? They, that was initially built as a defense against the North, right? That's why they constructed the Great Wall. But a wall only does so much when a plane can fly over it, right? That worked at, at the time when ground attacks were the main form of attack. But now there's planes, there's nukes. Planes can just fly over the wall. And us as Christians, we're the same way. We have to reinforce our defenses because the devil is active. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The devil's seeking to devour us and he'll get in. So yeah, we can build up a defense now. We also have to be actively changing these defenses because the devil will find a way in. We have to be watchful. The devil is out there sneaking in. So reinforcing our defenses, it will practice our patience. It'll take training, but ultimately we have a promise. It will result in reward. It will result in reward. We see it in verse, uh, where is it? Verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. There is a promise of eternal life at the end of this. We can have eternal life but there are people who won't get this eternal life. And that's where the rest of our passage comes into play. Once we have built ourselves up, we can't just hold that to ourselves. We can often get occupied in building ourselves up, but we need to then go out and rescue those in danger. It's so easy to be layering ourselves up all the time and building up our own faith. Like, Ethan, I can't go out yet because I'm, I'm not ready where I am. But our ultimate call as Christians is to go out and rescue those in danger. We see that in verse 22 and 23. It says, And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. We have to go out. We have to rescue those in distress because there are people who don't know the truth. There are people who have been affected by false teachings. And that's our job as Christians to go out. But before we go out, we have to take three things from this passage. We have to first identify the individuals affected. We have to identify who these individuals that are affected by false teachers. In 22 and 23, we see the word others twice. That separates three groups of people. You can see one group, have mercy on those who doubt. You see another, save others by snatching them out of the fire. And then you see our third group, Show mercy with fear. So who are these three groups? This first group that we see in 21, I would classify as those flirting with false teachers. This is a group who is flirting with false teaching, who is entertaining the idea of false teaching. Maybe they're listening to that podcast or they're listening to those songs or they're watching those movies. They're letting this false teaching pour into their lives. And maybe they don't realize, but it will affect them eventually. The second group of people we see save others by snatching them out of the fire. That group we classify as the fallen, the people who have fallen victims of false teaching, people who are being taken over by false teaching, and they don't know it yet. He, Jude, uses the word snatching. There's an aggression to that. I was talking to Zach as we were setting up the slides, and Zach spent some time being a fireman, and the, the, the snatching we see, it's not like a simple, like, 
hey, buddy, come on, this place is on fire, let's go. No, there's a snatch, you're grabbing, you don't care if you break their bones, bruise them, you're getting them the heck out of that building, right? That's the kind of aggression we see here by snatching those out of the fire. People who have fallen prey to false teachings, we have to be ready. Third group, the third group we see here, we see have show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. That group I'd classify as the false. That group is the false teachers themselves, the people who are influencing people. And that's where we have show mercy with fear. That's where that sneaks in there. And that will cause us to continue cautiously. We have to continue cautiously when approaching false teachers because they know their stuff. False teachers don't have power because they're stupid. False teachers have manipulated God's word. They manipulated our minds to what they're saying sounds really good. A big example I see today is love is love, right? What did Jesus preach more than anything else? He preached love. So it's so easy to go, yeah, look at this. That is biblical teaching. But that's where it requires us to know what the truth is, to know what the Bible says. Study the real so much that when the fake comes up, when the counterfeit presents itself, we're able to see that. Thirdly, what we have to do when rescuing those in danger is we have to make our move. We have to actually be active. We actually have to go out. Like I said, the verse snatching, we have to be taking those who have fallen into false teachings. And just because these three groups of people are different doesn't mean that they all don't need one thing. They need Jesus. They need to know the truth. They need to know the gospel. They need to have that reminder. It's so easy as Christians to be in the second point, to be reinforcing our defenses over and over and over again, that we forget that we need to be moving out and rescuing those in danger. That's our call. We see it in Matthew 28. Go, make disciples of all nations. That's Jesus' call to us. We need to go out. It's so easy to be stuck where we are. And this is something that I, I recently just started working at Jewel Middle School in North Aurora, and this is something that I am blessed to be challenged with every day. I get to talk to people who don't know who Jesus is, who don't know the truth, and that's something that I shied away from for so long, but every day I'm getting to share the gospel. Uh, the assistant principal at Jewel Middle School, I actually got to show him a passage in Matthew the other day. That was so cool. He wasn't receptive to it, but God is working through that. Right? We have to take those chances. We have to make our move. But ultimately, we can't make our move if we're not on our rock-solid foundation. We have to be on this rock-solid foundation. And I've kind of been alluding to it all day, but if you want to turn back to Matthew 7, we see it in verse 24 through 27. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who has built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on the house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who has built his house in the sand. And rain fell, and floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell, and the fall was great of it. Right? How often in our lives are we building things on the sand? Right? I challenge you, church, what in your life 
Are you building, what are you putting on the sand when you should be putting it on the rock? Right? At the end of the day, when our whole foundation falls beneath us, what are we standing on? Are we standing on sand? Are we standing on the truth that Jesus gives us, on the truth of the Bible? Everything will fall into place if we have this rock-solid foundation that Jude is talking about. He says, build ourselves up in the most holy faith. He says, keep yourselves in the love. Keep. That's active. That's constant. We have to constantly be keeping ourselves in the love of God. I just got a few questions I want to ask you, church, before we leave. Right? Can you identify when false teachers enter your life? Can you identify when you're flirting with false teaching? You know, where you most subject to false teachers infiltrating you, right? Is the Bible our final authority? Is the Word of God our final authority? Then I ask you this, how are you reinforcing our, your defenses? Are you constantly layering yourself up to fight against the devil's schemes? How are we doing that? And then how are we rescuing those in danger? How are you rescuing those in danger? Are you rescuing those in danger? There's no point in having this salvation that saves. We have the truth. What's the point in having that if we don't share that with others? What's the point in possessing that, right? Jesus calls us to go. So often in our lives, we see people like Bernie Madoff, who I started today with. We see people like him. There are people that were up top with Bernie who knew that he was stealing $64 billion from people and they just stood idly by and let it happen. Let's not be standers. Let's not watch people fall, right? Let's go out, make disciples, right? What are we building our life on, right? Because if we're building it on the rock, it will help us have this resolve in the face of danger. It will help us to constantly be reinforcing our defenses so that when we go out, we can rescue those in danger.